Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 32. On the receivable side, it's remaining a lot more traditional. Where the the changes are coming there are from the are from the fintechs actually. Pre-export finance is becoming part of the longer supply chain forms of finance and not as a separate animal by itself. I'm Mark Abrams, Head of Trade at Trade Finance Global. 2019 continues to be a roller coaster for the credit and political risk insurance market. Capital relief, distribution and credit risk mitigation is different from where it was just 12 months ago. TFG are delighted to be media partners of the TXF Political Risk and Insurance Conference in London on the 4th of December. And to ensure you're up to speed with this ever-changing environment, we caught up with the leading experts in CPRI ahead of the conference. Today, I'm joined by Sean Edwards, Chairman of ITFA and Head of Legal at SNBC, Peter Sargent, Head of Transaction Banking at DNB Bank, Rudolf Putz, Head of Trade Facilitation Program at the EBRD. Quite the panel, and thank you for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. So in a short elevator pitch and no more than 20 seconds, please, could you tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Starting with you, Sean. Okay, so good morning. I don't know if it's a great pitch, actually, because I'm the guy who has three jobs and only gets paid for one. The job I do get paid for is Head of Legal at SNBC, as you mentioned, Mark. The other job I have within SNBC is as a uh, contributor to the supply chain finance department within our larger trade finance uh, department. The, the idea there is that I help with structuring and what have you. The job I really enjoy the most, of course, is being chair of the International Trade and Forefacing Association, which covers uh, a lot of different things, including credit risk insurance with increasingly fintech and not forgetting our traditional market of short-term trade. Thank you very much. Peter? Uh, good morning. I'm Peter Sargent. I am Head of Transaction Banking for SNEA for DNB, the uh, Norwegian bank. And um, a, a little bit like Sean, I'm the newest member of the uh, ITFA, so uh, we, we both have uh, mutual interest there. My aim at the moment is to steer customers away from secured towards an open account approach to their uh, working capital needs. Thank you. Rudolf? Uh, good morning. I'm Rudolf Putz. I'm head of a trade facilitation program of a European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And uh, under our trade facilitation program for EBRD supports for development of trade finance in EBRD's countries of operation in Eastern Europe for CIS and for Southern and for Eastern Mediterranean countries. Sean, at SNBC and having a background as a lawyer, similar to myself, you understand the complex structural and security issues around this changing landscape. Are you seeing a change in sectors being financed and structures being requested? Well, it'd be nice to think that we have a future as inventing, as inventors of complex and very expensive structures. Actually, funny enough, rather like a deceptively easy book to read. The demand for most clients actually is to have structures that are straightforward. 
and simple. And that paradoxically can actually be sometimes quite hard to structure. So if I look, let's take supply chain finance first, for example. On the receivables end, so I'll divide it to receivables and payables. On the receivables side, it's remaining a lot more traditional. Where the the changes are coming, there are from the are from the fintechs actually that are that are platformizing some of this business, commoditizing it a lot more. And the banks need to compete with that to some extent. In some cases, of course, they're the conduits, the the originators of that kind of uh, of flow for the platform. So for the moment, it's a it's a fairly um, it's a fairly uh, mutually beneficial relationship. But those structures tend to be fairly straightforward. On the payable side, so there we've seen, I think, a lot more change. Partly that's been driven by some controversies that have been raised by the, the rating agencies and uh, quite a lot of lack of clarity around the accounting treatment for some of these structures. And what we're finding there increasingly, especially at SMBC, is that for us, even as a global bank, this payables finance or what some people call reverse factoring is dominated by the high volume end. It's dominated by a couple of the big banks, City, Bank of America, and so on, who've got huge, huge platforms to do this sort of business and who do put in place these sorts of arrangements for some of the world's biggest uh, biggest corporate buyers. So what we're having to do, and if we're doing having to do it at our level, I'm sure it's even more difficult for, for some of the smaller banks is actually to find niche opportunities. So we're structuring deals uh, to give people advantages and benefits beyond the traditional ones associated with payables finance, which is normally ensuring the security of your supply chain, making sure that your suppliers have access to, to, uh, to, to lower priced finance. And we're having to to go into really the balance sheets of our customers, the buyers, and find where their pain points are and deal with those. So we, we've done one deal recently with um, a satellite manufacturer where we managed to push out uh, days payable outstanding from three months to three years. And that was because there was an issue with OPEX. And they had a very large OPEX budget. It was payable. It was very chunky and very short dated. They needed to move that out. So we managed to do that. That's that, that's where we're seeing for us the opportunities for the market more generally and within ITFA. It's a bit of a split between people like ourselves trying to find those opportunities and people who are trying to go for the big commodity business. Again, by commodity, I mean commoditized business, the flow business. That is again for the smaller banks being facilitated by fintechs because they can do that now much more easily than they ever could. So you don't have to be a city bank now to have actually a pretty good tech platform to do it, but you do need the clients. So that's that's difficult. On the more uh, on the bank to bank side, again, what we find, and I know we're going to talk about this later, is banks being um, very, very careful about uh, about getting capital benefits from from their lending. So a lot more, even on the trade finance side, we're finding a lot of the even the relatively short dated small ticket deals being structured to get, for example, NSFR relief. So all banks are being very careful about that. And so now we'll move on to the digitalization agenda. And Rudolf, I'd like you to talk about digitalization from a multilateral development bank perspective. How is EBRD promoting fintech programs that might help correspondent banks reach out to their customers? And we heard from EBRD at the WTO forum last month about EBRD's app, Click. Please, could you explain? 
Under our trade facilitation program, uh, we support our partner banks in the digitization of your trade finance business. And um, we organize conferences and forums in our countries of operation, mostly in Eastern Europe and in CIS countries, but also in the Mediterranean countries. And at these forums, we offer providers of um, fintech uh, solutions and uh, technology to present their solutions and applications and programs uh, to our partner banks. And uh, once our partner banks have decided for specific um, solutions and providers, we provide them with technical assistance, which means we employ consultants and organize training courses for our partner banks so that they can familiarize uh, with themselves with internationally used applications and become also part of an international net of digitized operations in trade finance. As a confirming bank under EBRD's CFP, how can technologies such as this, as well as others, help you work with issuing banks to facilitate trade? Uh, Yes, thank you. I think there are two things to say about this. The first one is that EBRD is reflecting the move in international trade away from secured terms and perhaps towards uh, open account terms to do that, to have the ability to move documentation, for example, online makes, makes the environment in which you operate quicker more accurate in the sense it's more difficult to uh, get the documentation wrong and easier and more transparent for individuals involved. Now, the second part about that, of course, is uh, to do that, you have to have the knowledge. And this is where I think EBRD's program comes in particularly well, which is this whole question of training, coaching, mentoring in the international trade environment. And so I would see the online move by uh, EBRD in those two specific environments. Thank you. And let's move on to the advertise and actually underlying financing structures now. In particular, how have they changed this year? Peter, being an industry veteran, do you see much evolution, use and demand in the area of pre-export finance? And if so, in what industries? Yeah, I'm not sure I like the uh, phrase industry veteran. That implies I'm ancient. The, the use of pre-export finance is a raw material is against raw materials and largely at the beginning of supply chains. So, I think that one of the things I've seen change in the last 12 months has been that pre-export finance is becoming part of the longer supply chain forms of finance and not as a separate animal by itself. By that, for example, if you look at uh, cocoa, for example, uh, there are longer terms now that, that you can get for co-producing countries, and you can do that by using pre-export finance. This is all wrapped up in this whole idea of cash conversion cycles and accelerating short-term cash flow. And pre-export finance is seen as part of that and not as a separate animal by itself. And, you know, you you do have to remember 90% of firms who go bankrupt go bankrupt because they run out of cash. And that's what pre-export finance is aiming to try to help with. We've certainly seen a change in appetite on some of the TFG supply chain finance lenders and also programs that we have originated. Sean, with your ITFA hat on, have you seen or heard of any changes in appetite within the insurance market? Yeah, I mean, so credit insurance has really been transformative, I think, for the trade finance market over the last five years. has provided a huge amount of capacity to the banks. But that also means that the banks 
are looking for uh, their insurance cover to be as efficient as possible, capital efficient as possible. So credit risk, obviously, number one priority, and that's taken care of. But there's a need to evolve those policies in a way which actually is beneficial to the banks, even looking at it from a sort of common sense point of view. But the driver for this really is to get capital efficiency, bars of efficiency. And relating to supply chain insurance on a portfolio basis, the exporters and the effect of trade wars and geopolitical events, such as Brexit, on the ability of supply chains to actually function. Uh, Rudolf, what effects do you find that trade wars and geopolitical unrest is having on the mid-market financial institutions that you work with? Uh, so far, trade wars have not had a strong impact on trade and trade finance in EBRD's countries of operation, because historically most trade between EBRD's countries of operation and the rest of the world were focused on trade between European Union and Eastern Europe and CIS countries and the Mediterranean countries. We have seen that the exporters in our countries of operation that had previously exported also to the United States, increasingly also looking for new markets in Asia, in Africa, uh, or in the Middle East, and they've been having quite successful also in finding these new markets. On the other side, we see increasing imports from Asia, particularly from China, but also from Korea and Japan. Uh, which uh, shows uh, that EBRD's countries of operation become more and more integrated into the international trade. As concerns uh, geopolitical events, there have been some impacts uh, on EBRD's uh, countries of operation due to uh, for conflict between Russia and Ukraine, but also we have seen some impact on recent events in Turkey and in Lebanon, where we have seen pricing increase and uh, international Respondent banks becoming more cautious in taking own risk, particularly for longer tenors and larger amounts in Lebanon, but also in Ukraine and in Turkey. Thank you. And what a great update from EBRD. And also from a bank perspective on some of the key changes within the CPRI market in 2019. Lots to take in and a reminder that I will be discussing some of these topics with this panel in much more detail in a few weeks time at TXF London on the 4th of December. Sean, Peter and Rudolf, thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. See you on the 4th. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 